What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. All right, the hello, Chase and welcome back podcast. to a Tuesday edition um, of Jonathan Taylor Thomas Talks. Talks. See, I hate, no, I already hate it. Baseball, hate it. Minnesota Twins 2020 season review edition. John Taylor up there in New York City is here as he is every Tuesday. John, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I am doing quite all right. How about yourself? It's good. It's good. Um, how was your new year? Have we talked post new year? I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, uneventful New Year. I mean, I think everyone hopefully spent it the same way, which is at home. Well, hold um, on. No, no, no. I was at a rave. Multiple raves. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was raving pretty hard. <laughs> raving hard? Raving hard, man. A, Love a good rave in, closed, in, uh, in, in Knoxville, Tennessee, where the, the, yeah, where the stuff is not uh, out of control. Um, but my roommate, one of them, is getting the COVID vaccine today. Oh, nice. Yeah. Medical good. students. They're next in line. Uh, the, I don't like hearing, yeah, they were emailing us about, like, they have some extras. So if you want to come in and take it, you can go do it. What a life. That's, what a system we've got going. Yeah, here. like, what is very, this? Very it's good a, system. It's a, it's a great system. Uh, we're all thrilled. Um, did you uh, do anything f- interesting? What Did you have a, a good beer on New Year's Eve, John? Yeah. No, I made myself a gin and tonic. That's about mm. as far as I went. Didn't uh, didn't want to get too crazy, since you know you're you're just kind of sitting at home. And things I don't watch the countdown shows. I, I I don't you know like the New Year's Eve celebrity like you know we're standing in Times Square and here's some weird musical performances. You know I, I mostly was just flipping channels to see what was on, which that turns out sucks. on New Year's Eve. Do people really like? In, do people really enjoy watching those shows? Do people really enjoy? I it? Don't, I can't say that I know. I understand the idea of watching them just because you're, you know, the whole point of New Year's Eve is counting down till midnight, and those show, those shows do that. You know, they, they remind mm-hmm. you, hey, it's almost midnight, and once it is midnight, you can, uh, you can, you know, celebrate with kiss us. Kiss your lady. I, I don't kiss your man. <laughs> exactly, kiss your partner. But, yes. Um, I don't know. I. I I'm sure people do watch them and enjoy them. Otherwise, they wouldn't make them. But for me, it's, it's I just never find them interesting because mm. I just the idea of watching people kind of for, be forced to banter um, while standing outside in Times Square when it's cold and just while we're all waiting for a clock to reach a certain point in time, like yeah, it's just a little weird to me. I, I find New Year's Eve just kind of a blah holiday overall. Once you, especially it's one of those holidays. Once you kind of get old enough and you're not you know going out to party no more it's what's really the point <laughs> yeah i'm not a big new year's person either um but uh but yeah well oh there was one other thing before we get into the news and everything this week um me and i i saw your uh your instagram story and i showed the lady friend and i was like i think this is gonna be nasty the white russian in a can and i was like i don't think he's gonna like this i think the second no, one is gonna be no, like that terrible. shit's nasty yeah it was terrible. I do not recommend buying a white <laughs> Russian in a can. The thing is, I'm sure your listeners are intelligent enough to 
know that, yeah, a white Russian in a can is not a good idea. No. But I figured, why the hell not? Let's give it a try, and uh, it's, it's not worth it. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> I literally not, looked over. get a white Russian in a can. Yeah. I literally looked over at her, and I was like, he's going to fucking hate this. Um, yeah, and I did. It, oh. it was not good. Oh, man. Mistakes were made. It's okay. It's okay, John. Um, I had a bad seltzer. Or no, you know what it was? I got a bad pale ale because I asked the, the local pizza shop on the takeout. I was like, what are all... I honestly have no idea what the fuck any of these beers are. And I was like, what, what is the best one of this group? And they pointed to this one, and I, I drank it, and it was, it was awful. Like an awful, awful uh, Saturday night beer. I could, I just, I hated every second of it. It was, it was not an enjoyable experience. So we both have had bad alcoholic tastes in uh, the last week. We're one and the same, John. Good. I'm glad we are. We're in this together. We're in this together. Um, don't forget, folks. You can also be in this with us by going to chasingonspodcast.com, um, subscribing to the newsletter, uh, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. That I do every Saturday morning. It's free. Go check that out. Um, follow John at JA Taylor. Follow myself at Chase underscore Thomas. And leave us a five star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts if you're an Apple Podcast listener. John and especially Fisher would greatly appreciate it. Um, first thing I wanted to, to hit you with before we get into the twins, um, John, the Blue Jays. Uh, reportedly, like we've talked about them a lot on this podcast this offseason. Um, We've already go back and listen to our preview a few weeks back if you would like to get some more insight into what we think about the Blue Jays' future in 2021. But um, we were tossing around George Springer. We were tossing around Trevor Bauer. Now we're hearing that uh, the Blue Jays are willing to go $125 million or higher for George Springer. And they have had a secret meeting with Trevor Bauer. But I don't even know if I want to say that out loud because I don't want Trevor Bauer to to go at me on Twitter. I don't want to get quote tweeted by uh, Trevor Bauer and the the fake uh, reporting that I'm I'm doing by put, throwing that out there in this podcast. But um, what do you make of both of these developments? It makes sense. I mean, I think if there's one thing people have identified with the Blue Jays is that this is kind of a good moment for them to make those kinds of win now moves with Springer, with Bauer, with and DJ LeMay, who's another guy they've been tied to a lot. Um, this team, and, and, and you know, having done some, I, I, I'm writing up a, a Blue Jays preview for, for another place, um, there's a, obviously a lot of good young talent and a lot of good young talent also still to come in their farm system. Um, but this is a team that, you know, that they really do have an opportunity here to add some win-now players for just money, too. And that's, that, I think, is the most important part because, you know, there are two ways – three ways, rather, to, to add talent to your team. You develop it, you draft and develop it, you trade for it, or you sign it. And obviously, drafting and developing, you know, that, that takes time, and the Blue Jays are already past that point. Trading for it means you have to sacrifice some of the talent on your team or in your farm system. Signing, all it costs you is money, and the Blue Jays should have plenty of that and a payroll that is both low and should continue to be low going forward because all of these guys right now are operating on the early years of their pre-arb or early arb contracts. You know, Vlad Jr., Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, um, Nate Pearson when he fully gets up. Uh, you know, Hyunjin Ryu is really the only guy on that team making any substantial money at this point. So in that sense, it makes a lot of sense for the Blue Jays to use some of that financial, and, and I know people, that, that phrase financial flexibility like doesn't really mean anything anymore. But that, the, true, the true meaning of financial flexibility should be 
using the payroll space you have because of the low salaries you currently are carrying to sign better players to expensive contracts so you don't have to worry about how much they're making. Mm-hmm. You know, if George Springer wants $125 million, if Trevor Bauer wants $150 million, whatever it is, you have the room to do that because, like I said, the only significant money you're paying out in 2021 is to Hyunjin Ryu. And for some reason, $12 million to Tanner Rourke. I, that's a little weird. <laughs> but otherwise, it's a lot of guys making very little money. The only guarantees that the Blue Jays have now on the books now, guaranteed money, is $63 million. Throw in arbitration costs and a few other things, you're getting in around the low 80s for next year. That's nothing. They are, they are $100 million shy of the luxury tax threshold. They could sign Bauer, Springer, and LeMahieu and probably not get there in 2021. You know, and yeah, at some point, like, you're going to have to figure out which of these guys do we want to give extensions to early, you know, be it Vlad Jr., be it Bichette, be it Biggio, be it someone else. Fine, but there's plenty of time to figure that out, and the time is also going to make that more obvious for some than others, you know. Handing George Springer 20, well, what, what's 125 divided by five? It's um, $23 million a year, mm-hmm. 25. Handing him $25 million a year is really not going to do a whole lot in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, keeping you from being able to reward your other players. It's only going to hurt you if you make it hurt you. You know what I mean? It, it's only going to hurt you if you insist that it hurts you. But the Blues can easily afford these kinds of things. And it feels like then if they can, then now is the time to take advantage of it. I don't know if the Blue Jays plus one of Springer, Bauer, or LeMahieu is are good enough to win the AL East. I think the Yankees are still better and the Rays are probably still better too. But it certainly puts them in more in the conversation. It certainly makes them a, a much better bet to win the wild card or whatever it ends up being if we do or don't get the expanded playoff format next year. So... And, and not only that, it's not only about 2021, it, it's about, you know, those guys will be there in 2022 as well. Obviously, the thing you worry about uh, with, with any of Springer, Bauer, LeMahieu, or, or anyone else is that, you know, because they're free agents, they're invariably, uh, you know, past 30, which means, you know, they're only going to start declining from this point going forward. But you, again, you can kind of offset that because you have all these young guys who are hit, hitting their primes, or theoretically at least, going to be hitting their primes in the next, you know, two to three years if they're not there already in the case of someone like, Biggio. I mean, Vlad Jr. is only 22 years old. There's still a lot of time left for him. So, no, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense for Toronto, and it's something that, you know, I imagine what they're doing is similar to what the Mets are doing and a, and a couple other things is just waiting and hoping that the, the, the cost comes down the closer and closer we get to spring training. And also because I don't, obviously, nobody knows when the season's going to start, what spring training is going to look like. You know, I imagine some teams are probably waiting to get a better sense of what that is before they commit to anything. But either way, no, it, ma- it makes perfect sense for Toronto. And I think one way or the other, I think they have to come out of this offseason with one of those three guys. Because otherwise, you look, at, you look at this Blue Jays roster, it's kind of hard to see them as anything more than 500 with the way things currently are. Which is where they were last year. Um, it also kind of depends on what happens with... Um, Really, like, what the Red Sox do, I think the Red Sox, we should still probably at this point pencil in being bad next year. The Orioles are going to be bad next year. And then if the Rays take a step back, which is a distinct possibility. So I think there is an opening, especially if they're training Blake Snell, that, like, hey, if you're the Blue Jays, I wonder if they're looking at that of, like, that that's it for them. Morton's gone. They're, Snell's gone. They're, they're reloading. 
and uh, they're going to take a step back next year. And then it's like just the Yankees. And if that's the Yankees are always going to be there. So if that's your hesitancy, if you're Shapiro in this group, then uh, you that's fucking crazy because like they're always just going to be there. So if that's your only roadblock to being an 80 plus win team, 90 plus win team this year, um, I don't know. I think you do it. And I think all these trade, like all these signings, would be welcomed by the Blue Jays, and we'd all be like, "Yeah, that's fine." I don't think they're like. I don't think Lemayhew will hit a number where we're like, "Ugh, I don't know about that." I don't think Bauer will hit a number where we're like, "I don't know about that." And especially Springer, like I think now it's at this point where we're like, "Why is he just sitting out there?" We just become so, um, so just what is the term? So desensitized to these free agents these really good free agents just sitting out in the open for weeks and months in baseball that were just like it's kind of crazy that he's just available and no one's just been like yeah let's go sign this awesome outfielder to be awesome for our team as we try and contend for a world series like if you can do that for 125 million you go get george springer like go do that yeah i mean i'm completely in agreement i think yeah, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. We have become kind of desensitized too because this is now. Um, I know last winter was a little different, but you know, three out of the last four winters now, we've seen teams just wait and wait and mm-hmm. wait. And obviously, they're just trying to get the lowest cost they can on these players uh, by making them wait. But it, it, it's still, it, I mean, it's one of the many things I find so distasteful about Major League Baseball right now is that that is how things operate. The teams, instead of choosing to get better only seem to care about how can I get this at the cheapest way possible. Yeah. And I don't think we're going the other way. Um, the Phillies with your old friend, Dave Dombrowski acquired Jose Alvarado in a three team trade. Do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, it's the kind of move that makes sense for Philly. I mean, their bullpen was not only was their bullpen awful last year, one of the worst <laughs> bullpen literally ever put together, but they also lost a lot of arms from that bullpen. And a lot of those guys won't necessarily be missed. Um, you know, guys like David Robertson, who barely pitched, or, or Pat Neshek and Tommy Hunter, who never really also had a lot of injury issues. But regardless, there are a lot of innings that need to be taken there because Philly doesn't have a lot of great internal options or a lot of great remaining options. Alvarado is the kind of gamble that makes sense for them. He has, he has great stuff when he's healthy. The problem is he hasn't really been healthy the last two years. Uh, I think there's some conditioning issues there, too. But a guy where they can get everything on straight has closer stuff. You know, he was uh, intermittently a closer for Tampa, as, as were, like, six other guys. Uh, throws hard with a ton of movement. He's a, he's a, he's a regular on pitching ninja. So I, I think it's a, it's a good move for Philly. I, I like the way uh, over at Fangrass, Eric Longenhagen noted that for Tampa, this really seems to be more just kind of an unfortunate roster crunch situation because of the Snell trade that, you know, they didn't really get a whole lot back for Alvarado, which part of that is his stock is a little low right now. But you think they could do better with a reliever who's still cheap and st- who still has his kind of uh, arsenal. So, But it's, an, it's a nice move for Philly. They didn't really give up anything uh, too notable, a lefty uh, Garrett Clevenger who's going to go to the Dodgers and Obviously, since the Dodgers are picking him up, he's probably going to put up an ERA of like two next year with like 13 strikeouts for nine. But, you know, not a guy who really, I don't think, showed a whole lot with Philly so far. So I think it's a nice move for Philly. And it's a kind of uh, low risk, high, high reward move that they probably should be aiming for with the bullpen because it doesn't really seem like they're going to be spending on the type, on types of guys like Liam Hendricks or, or uh, I guess Brad Hand if the Indians do decide to move him. It probably makes more sense for them to be targeting guys like Alvarado or 
and I imagine we'll get to him later because we're going to talk about the Twins, someone like a Hansel Robles, too, kind of a middle-tier reliever who has, like, upper-tier, ca- like, capacity. Yeah, I uh, I think it's one of many other moves that they're probably going to do. And they didn't they just, like, sign Nafate Feliz? Like, they're just, I think they're going to just be throwing, remembering some guys this offseason is going to be. Yeah, and I think that's. It's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out. As I just, I, same place I'm writing about for the Blue Jays, I wrote about the Phillies, and I, I think I noted, we may, may have discussed it before, how weird a fit Dave Dombrowski is for a team that doesn't have a farm system with prospects he can trade away and where ownership doesn't want to spend. So they're going to have to do stuff like this. I think the reason he did that, though, is he got, like him and LaRusa both bailing on Nashville when like there was a really big NY Times piece about this and what they were trying to do with the Nashville sounds and stuff like that, I think they were just told flat out, like, expansion's not happening. And Dombrowski's like, well, yeah, that, I'm, I'm bored. That makes, that makes sense. That makes sense. And then the Dombrowski would take the best job he yes. can find, and that, realistically, that's the Phillies, because I don't think... And, and that's the thing. Like, that's probably one of the few teams left that would be interested in what Dombrowski has to offer at this point. Mm-hmm. Most teams aren't... Most teams, I don't think, are really terribly into his whole strategy of, well, why don't we just spend money? Mm-hmm. Um, which, again, makes it weird that the Phillies were the ones to reach out. But I think Dombrowski probably feels like, and I know this isn't a Phillies thing, but that the core of talent there is kind of win now enough that it makes sense for him to be there as opposed to, like the Phillies aren't a rebuild, you know? that you They could be if if someone different had been hired. You could have taken them in that direction, I'm sure. But this isn't a rebuild, and I'm sure Dombrowski at, you know, at his age and with everything he's done and the, at the stage he's in his career – probably has no interest in doing that kind of thing. And the Phillies, um, aside from the Mets, who I, I doubt were ever – although, honestly, Dombrowski would have made a lot of sense for the Mets. Um, I have to imagine this was probably the best job available where the word rebuild was not part of the, the job description. I don't imagine Alderson and Dombrowski would work together. It would be it would be interesting at least to see because, again, like Dombrowski is a, the best fit for Dave Dombrowski – is an owner who has no reservations about spending for money. sure and it seems like steve cohen although the mets haven't really done a whole lot this offseason yet i imagine they are also part of those teams kind of waiting out bauer and springer and lemayhew to see where they go but steve cohen i think yeah spending steve cohen spending hasn't really uh and you would think too that the advantage of having steve cohen as an owner is you don't have to play the waiting game you know, you can just say to George Springer if he wants five one twenty five, go. All right, sure, fine, whatever. You know, so it's a li- it's a little interesting, a little notable that that hasn't really happened with the Mets. That their only real big expenditure so far has been James McCann on a contract that was a little a little high for him. But I think at the same time, they probably felt like it's a little high, but it's not crazy. You know, it's it's forty million dollars. Like we can survive that forty million versus one hundred twenty five. Obviously, uh, one is a much bigger number. One is a much bigger number. Um, Jed Hoyer came out and said this week the new president of baseball ops for the Cubs. Um, Hugh Darvish trade was not financially motivated. Case closed. Yeah, uh, he's a liar. Him. He's lying. <laughs> he is lying. Like and, and not like maliciously, but he's lying because if he comes out and says, yes, we did it for money reasons, a bunch of fans are going to go, well, then you go to hell. Like, these are the lies he has to tell. These are the lies all these GMs have to tell. That they're clumsy and obvious doesn't stop these people because, as we've learned very much and constantly over the last four years, the clumsiness and obviousness of a lie is just an accepted thing nowadays. 
because if you have power, there's no reason for you to feel shame, I guess. I mean, Jed, Jed Hoyer is in a bad spot. He is doing what ownership is telling him to do. I'm pretty sure that if you if you asked him candidly, did you want to trade you Darvish's responsibility? No, I don't want to trade my best pitcher for Zach Davies and some teenagers. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that's what he wanted to do. He is just stuck at the mercy of the Ricketts, though. And being stuck at the mercy of the Ricketts means he has to come up with lies that are eh, barely even plausible. Obviously, it was about money. Obviously, it was about money. You don't trade you Darvish for Zach Davies and some prospects who are far away from the majors at that if it's not about money. Um, nor do you go on about how this trade can't be judged until those prospects come to the majors. You're just kicking that can down the road because you know there's no justifying that trade at the moment. You know that the only reason, like, you know that this trade just made you worse for 2021. There's there's no there's no arguing on that either. So you just move the goalposts somewhat and just say, oh, but you can't. This isn't about the 2021 Cubs. You can't really judge this trade until all these kids are up and you know what happens to them and blah. It's like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so then when do we ever get to judge the trade? <laughs> you know, we have to wait till 2030 to decide if the U Darvish trade made sense for the Cubs. Not really, because we know what it, what the impact is for 2021. Bad. And we know why the trade was made. Money. You know, the, it almost doesn't matter what the prospects do. I mean, it does, but that's not the point. The point of this trade is not the prospects. The point of this trade is the Cubs didn't want to pay U Darvish anymore. And so they're not gonna. And for Judd Hoyer to suggest otherwise is, just kind of silly. Yeah. Well, not silly, but it's yeah. He has to do it. But again, the state he's of paid a lot of money to do that. that. Yeah, he has to. Last thing before we get into the twins, um, Yasiel Puig, old friend, Braves legend, Yasiel Puig, um, not played since 2019. But um, per Mark Feinstein of MLB.com, there's still some interest from the Red Sox. Your Red Sox. The Yankees, the Astros, the Marlins, and the Orioles. Um, he seems very Marlinsy this offseason to me, if he gets another shot. But then again, no DH this year, maybe, in the NL. So, I don't know. I mean, the Marlins could, the Marlins could use a corner outfielder anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, their outfield right now is Corey Dickerson, Garrett Cooper, and... Oh, geez, I'm blanking on their center fielder. Uh, Starling Marte. There we mm. go. And... Either of, I mean, Dickerson should be a platoon player, I think. Um, I don't know if you necessarily want to sign Puig just to have him be uh, the weak side of a platoon. I don't think he's going to be happy doing that. But certainly, you know, should he be starting over Garrett Cooper while Cooper is just kind of a, especially because Cooper's not a good defensive outfielder, while Cooper just kind of floats around as a utility kind of infield outfield guy, like first base, maybe DH if they have it, outfield. Sure. You know, that's, that's, that is that could work and and Puig makes sense for Miami too because that's he um I believe he has a house there uh that he lives in part part of the time during the offseason obviously he's got the Cuba connection mm. you know he would make sense kind of locally I mean I don't know what, ma- what place makes the most sense for Yasiel Puig because a lot of that depends on where Yasiel Puig thinks he is in his career like does he want to be on a rebuilding team like the Orioles you know is he going to be happy with a spot on a contending team like the Yankees if it's as a reserve, because obviously he's not going to start over uh, Aaron Judge or Aaron Hicks, or he shouldn't start over Clint Frazier at this point. You know, is he, I mean, I don't, I don't think he really makes any sense for the Yankees. They have too many bats at this point, but regardless, like that's kind of, I I can't really see a team giving him a, a dedicated starting spot 
unless it is a rebuilding team like Baltimore or Miami. And then, of course, the question becomes, do you want to play on a losing team in 2021 with the outside chance that you get traded at the deadline to a contending team that is probably going to use you as a platoon bat, you know? Um, or unless a team has an injury and needs to fill a spot. Because the other thing is we don't, we don't know what Yasiel Puig looks like. You know, we, we haven't, like you said, we haven't seen him play what's going to be going on, on a full two years now. Um, he missed last year, obviously, because, one, nobody wanted to sign him, and two, then he got COVID. And, or supposedly, I mean, he, he, he had a deal with the Braves that fell through. I really would have liked to have seen where that went. Um, and Puig in 2019 was fine. You know, he's been just kind of fine for the last few years. He was a base, he was a league average hitter in both Cincinnati and Cleveland, a little better than league average in Cleveland, a little worse in Cincinnati. Um, he was great in 2017 and 2018 offensively, or at least, you know, very good. Well, I, who knows what we're going to get at this point. I, I think he more likely than not ends up with a team that like Miami that can actually promise him playing time and give him a chance to reestablish his value on like a one-year pillow contract try again next winter, you know, show people like, hey, I'm still here, I'm still productive, I'm a good guy, like, you know, give me a chance, because he's still only going to be, what, 20? If, if he plays like a one-year deal in Miami, let's say, he comes out of that, uh, he won't turn 31 until next December. So mm. there's still room for him to sign maybe like a, a solid three-year deal after that. But I think that's more likely than him ending up on a real contender where they just – I don't think any contender wants to take on the chance of Puig coming there and being a headache and not producing and then having to get rid of him. I, I think more likely not as a place like Miami or Baltimore. And I think of the teams mentioned, Miami, again, geographically, in terms of what they need, and the fact that they're an up-and-coming team, too. Like, Baltimore is just a mess. You know, they're, they're a construction site. Miami, you can at least see, like, a, through, you saw last year, Miami has real upside. And, you know, if you're Puig, why not take a one-year chance in a city you already like close to your well, as close to your family as you can get you know with a team that that's fun with a fan base that's especially with a fan base and a press corps that isn't going to bother you you know i don't really feel like yasiel puig is a good match with the new york media or the boston media god forbid but in miami who cares he can just hang out and chill and put up a good season and if he has a good season maybe he goes to a contender and if he doesn't have a good season well then you figure it out from there I'll have to consult with Jeff Schultz before I make up my mind as to where Yasiel plays in it. The Minnesota Twins, John. Um, just the, the this fan base been tortured a lot, been been a really lot. going through it, and the Twins are good, and we're not seeing the fruits of what they've been doing um, with their with their new front office that's done a really good job rebuilding this franchise and getting them back to the top spot in the AL Central for several years now. Um, Rocco Badelli has been a great hire as a manager by all accounts. Seems like a good dude. Um, but they just can't get over this playoff win, huh? They just they just can't. And they're good. It's weird that Nelson Cruz, at almost 40 years old, led the team in WRC Plus this year. Um, he might not be back. We'll get into that in a second. But um, for you... Are they still the class of the AL Central, and will they be the class for the next three to five years? It depends. I think Chicago is probably right there with them at this point, uh, especially if they're picking up Lance Lynn. I think what would keep Minnesota at the top of the division is probably is at least, for one, they got to bring back Cruz. 
Because you look at that lineup, it's fine. It's a good lineup. It's a top ten lineup, and or they're probably going to finish top ten in the in the league in runs scored and just general offense. But they're missing a big bat, and that big bat is Nelson Cruz, mostly because by non-tendering Eddie Rosario, which that's another again current baseball, not the most fun. They opened up a spot in the outfield where, I mean, in, in, if they had kept Eddie Rosario, then the problem with the problem with Nelson Cruz is easily solved. You just plug in Alex Kirilov. Well, now Alex Kirilov either has to play the outfield or DH. And if he's DHing, well, your left fielder is Jake Cave, Lamonte Wade Jr., Brent Rooker. These are not good options for a contending team. Like, and especially because the Twins are in that point where this is very much a win now team. Uh, you look at their roster. Obviously, there's some good young players on that roster in Luis Arias and Kirilov and uh, the catcher. They have Ryan Jeffers. And, you know, they have good prospects down in their system like Royce Lewis and uh, Gilberto Celestino and a, and a few other guys. But this is a team with, with Kent Ameda and Josh Donaldson it's, and uh, a few other guys who are all kind of not only nearing 30, but nearing kind of the end of team control. They got to move now, and not only they got to move now, but they're in a position to win now, especially because their only real competition in the Central is the White Sox. Assuming the Indians trade Francisco Lindor, they'll still be, they'll, the Indians will still be a, they will be a bad team. I don't think they're going to be a good team either, though. I think the Indians, put, like without Lindor, you probably put their ceiling at what five hundred somewhere around there. They're not going to be real contenders for the division. I don't think they're even real contenders for the division now. I also but, don't think they want to. <laughs> no, I, and that's. But that's a whole other issue right. that we can get to maybe maybe next week or I'm not sure. But I think, and especially in a division like the Central, where every win, you know, every extra win matters that much more. Because, and this is the thing with tying into the whole Twins playoff thing. If you're the Twins, and assuming that there is some either some kind of wild card game next year or another uh, best of best of what was it five last last year best of five first round series or best of three the best of three right yes. Yeah, best of three. Don't you want to avoid that as much as possible? Like, either by avoiding the wild card game by winning the division or by winning the division and having a higher seed so you end up playing a weaker team, which I know didn't really help them with the Astros last year, but so it goes sometimes. And some of that playoff stuff is just fluke shit. You know, it's just there's no there's no earthly reason why the Twins haven't won a playoff game since, like, 2003. You know, that's just that's just an incredible streak of bad luck. But at the same time, some of those have just been because they've been stuck in a wild card game where they have to win or go home. And the best way to avoid that is winning the division. And the best way to win the division is getting good players. And the best way to get good players is just giving them money. And Nelson Cruz is right there. And he's not going to be asking. Nelson Cruz is 40 years old. He's not going to be asking for a three-year deal at this point. He can probably go year to year at this point and be happy. He's made millions and millions of dollars over his career. I don't really think... Nelson Cruz at this point cares terribly much about the money. He probably cares more about, I want to win a World Series. You know, I want to be on a playoff team. The Twins are a playoff team. The Twins are a legit World Series contender. Maybe that second-tier World Series contender, but a legit contender nonetheless. You know, so to me, that's just, it just makes more, I think that's what the Twins would need to do to stay atop the AL Central. Second part of that is they, they could really use some rotation depth, which, we'll, which I know we'll get into a little later. And third, they could use some bullpen depth, too. They lost a lot of relievers in free agency, uh, most notably Trevor May and Sergio Romo, who were both, pre- were both pretty good for them last year, but also Matt Whistler, Tyler Clippard. You know, they, they need to add some bullpen arms. They already signed Hansel Robles. They could stand to do better than Hansel Robles. 
you know, again, I, I don't know if they'd be in the market for a guy like Liam Hendricks if they consider someone like that too expensive. But, you know, th- there's still plenty of useful relievers out there that I think that Minnesota should be aiming to. Their, their, their moves they should be making, because this roster as it currently stands is fine. You know, it's probably a, geez, like a 90-win team probably. But with the White Sox right there with them, they need to get, they need to scrounge up every possible win they can. Because otherwise, you know, they're looking at a wild card game, or they're looking at uh, being a seven or or a seven seed or a six seed up against, say, you know, the Yankees or the or the A's, and that's not really a fun place to be. Although an A's Twins playoff series is really just a, a movable object or movable, yeah, movable object versus a stoppable force. That's who can who who is going to choke that worse in an Oakland-Minnesota playoff series? I, I, I have no idea. I, I would guess the Twins. I know, right? It's crazy. I would I would guess the Twins, which is just sad. Um, is there any... like what If you had to explain to a Twins fan, you're, you meet up with a Twins fan at a, at a Brooklyn bar, John, once this is all over, and they're like, oh, what do you do? And you're like, well... You know I live in you know I live in Manhattan, right? No, I'm I'm you're in Brooklyn. If you if you're a, <laughs> if you're a sports writer in New York, you live in Brooklyn. Um sorry. <laughs> and uh you're in a bar in in Brooklyn, in Bushwick, as the kids love to go to. And you're you're talking to a twin. You you find out that there's a Twins fan sitting next to you. He's really sad, really somber going into the next year he's like i just i just want to play off one I, I don't understand why we can't do this why does god hate us and although you want to say well look at the browns god clearly hates the browns more than your team and then he asks what you do and you're like well i write about baseball and he's like okay you know more than me explain to me like i'm five why we're struggling so much to just win one playoff game is there one biggest reason of all as to why we cannot win a fucking playoff game. What is your answer? No, it's just bad luck. Mm. It's an incredible run of bad luck, but it's just bad luck. There's no good reason. I'm sure if you watched, here's the thing. There is a reason they lost every one of those games specific to those games. You know, they didn't score enough runs. Well, obviously they didn't score enough runs. A pitcher performed poorly, a bad managerial decision, a bad fielding mistake, whatever. Is there some overarching reason why for two decades the Minnesota Twins have just been so consistently one and done in the playoffs? No. Again, part of the issue they've run into is the same issue that the Pirates ran into, that the A's have run into, that a few other of the kind of uh, non-division winners run into, and that's the wild card game is just inherently unfair. Your playoffs could be done after one game. You might win... Like I mean, the the avatar of that will always be those Pirates teams from 2015 and or 2014 and 2015 that had to face in a row Madison Bumgarner and Jake Arrieta to to advance to advance the next round of the playoffs. Like that that just sucks. You know that's just bad luck. And that's why again I just harp on the fact that it's like if you want to give yourself a better position to actually move on to the next round of the playoffs or at least win a damn game, win your division. So you don't have to worry about the wild card. You know, and fan of playoff format would screw that up a little bit. Until that exists, I'm just going to add, you know, regardless the point still stands, do everything you can to win your division because that puts you in better position for the playoffs. You know, because there is no real reason why the Twins haven't won a playoff game in like 17 years or whatever it is. 
it's just that's the luck of the draw you know there's there's nothing connecting the 2020 twins to the let's say 2009 twins who got swept by the yankees you know it's not like the same it's not like it's the same team just failing over and over again it's just bad luck but you know you can you can mitigate some of that bad luck by doing by doing stuff like winning your division or making your team the best it possibly can be so that when the playoffs roll around, you're not being forced to start dudes like Randy Dobnak in really important games. Mm. Well, that naturally leads us to Nelson Cruz and his production last year. Um, if he's not back, who replaces Nelson Cruz's production in Minnesota? That's the problem. It's the <laughs> best. Well, because the thing is, like, the the best option internally, like I noted, is Alex Kirilov. But again, because they non-tendered Eddie Rosario, um, then you, you know, what, are you playing Kirilov at DH or are you playing him in the outfield? And if you're playing him at DH, okay, well, what are you doing in left field? Because your internal options there are Jake Cave and guys who are worse than Jake Cave, which is already a pretty low bar. You know, are, are you going to sign another outfielder? You know, would would the Twins, instead of, bringing back Nelson Cruz opt for a cheaper alternative and say Kyle Schwarber as a guy who can kind of rotate between the outfield and DH. I don't know if that's, I mean, I just think like the best course of action, I'm I'm a broken record on this, just sign the best player, especially when it is someone like Cruz, who again is not going to be asking for a long-term deal or probably anything more than like 15 to $20 million, which the twins can afford because that payroll doesn't, again, another team that doesn't have a whole lot of payroll concerns or a whole lot of long-term contracts they have to worry about. You know, depending on what extensions, if any, they want to hand out to the likes of, you know, say, Jose Barrios or to, you know, Luis Arias or Miguel Sano or anyone else, there's not a whole lot of money tied up to anyone that, you know, where you can't just say, oh, okay, well, then, yeah, no, we, we, well, we can't afford Nelson Cruz. Yes, you can. You don't have to get the cheaper... Uh, more cost-effective alternative to Nelson Cruz, just go get Nelson Cruz. He makes the most sense for you, for your team. Like, And maybe some of this is Cruz's, Cruz and his agent are waiting to see... Uh, Cruz and his agent are waiting to see if the NL does get the DH so that they can expand the market of suitors and, and get a better offer. And maybe that's, maybe that's kind of been... You know, maybe the Twins have an offer out and Cruz has just told them, I want to wait and see. But the only big money they have on their books right now is Josh Donaldson, and that's really it. You know, Maid is signed to a very, very cheap deal. Max Kepler signed a very cheap extension. Miguel Sano is only making about $10 million a year. Like, this is a team that can very easily afford Nelson Cruz, even if he wants $25 million a year. If that's all it costs to get his bat in the lineup, you're fine. Do it. Like, I don't see the reason to hold off. I like it. I like it. Um, you mentioned Mayetta. How good do you think he's actually going to be? Is he a future AL MVP? Not MVP, but I think his I think he's certainly a legitimate top flight pitcher. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Like, you look at what he did last year, and you know it, it it's not a it's not a fluke. Like the dude has always been good. He just never really got a chance to be consistently good in LA because they just kept flipping in between the rotation and the bullpen as needed. But, you know, he's, he's got great strikeout numbers. He's got great control. You know, he doesn't allow too many hits. He's great at avoiding hard contact. Like, you look at his peripherals, all of them suggested his 270 ERA was pretty legit. Like, he's definitely got the stuff to be 
you know, a number one starter for the Twins. The only question you have is, you know, age, because he's 32, and injury history, because he hasn't been the most durable guy in the past. But, you know, if those things hold up, and I mean, that, I mean, number one, that's an issue for every pitcher. But if those things hold up, I don't see any reason why he's not a number one type and a, and a you know, top 25 pitcher in the American League, at least. Yeah. Michael Pineda, he had a 2.2 FIP last year. Is that legit? Does he keep it going next year? It's hard to say because Pineda is another one of those guys where it's like injuries are always the big problem, and he just doesn't have great stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't really get strikeouts as much anymore. He's not a very efficient pitcher. Not um, using the goo anymore. <laughs> not using whatever it is he's been using. Um, he's perfect. He's a perfectly fine mid-rotation guy. Uh, I think, the, again, the thing you worry about is can he stay healthy and how much efficiency can he give you as a starter? Do they need at least one more top-line starter? They need at least one more starter, period, mm-hmm. unless they feel really comfortable with Randy Dobnak and Devin Smeltzer, and I would not. Again, especially considering that uh, Maiden and Pineda have had durability issues and the Barrios has kind of been up and down. I mean, they would have made a lot of sense for Darvish. I don't know if they're in the running for Bauer. I imagine he's probably too rich for their blood. Um, but I think they could use another starter for sure. Like, uh, I mean, maybe it's bringing back Jake Odorizzi, who was pretty good for them in 2019. Wasn't good for them last year, although he was injured. Um, but they they definitely need at least one more arm, I feel like, especially because they, they don't have a lot of internal depth there um, in terms of guys who can help right now. I agree. Um, speaking of, and this is a good way to put a bow on the twins, is the farm system. Um, is there help on the way? Is there any particular prospect that twins fans should be really excited about that you're personally excited about? Um, Royce Lewis is the best prospect in their system, but I doubt he gets up until 2022 at the earliest. I mean, his highest level played is double A, and he got there in 2019, and I don't think played all that much there. So I imagine the Twins are going to want to give him at least another year of development, considering he missed out on, as every minor leaguer did, missed out on a year of development in twenty in twenty twenty. Um, beyond that, a lot of these guys are. I mean, Jeffers and Kirilov obviously are already up and have already played, so I don't know if they really count as prospects necessarily. I mean, they're already there. I guess in terms of guys who are still to come, um, that's a tough one. Trevor Larnack could be part of that outfield uh, solution maybe at some point in 2021, depending how he handles AAA, if there is a AAA season. Mm-hmm. Um, he's their top outfield prospect along with Kirilov. I, I think the, the bigger issue, like I noted for the Twins, is that uh, pitching-wise, they don't really have anyone that close aside from Joan Duran. Um, everyone else in their system is kind of far away they have a lot of like good younger players but a lot of those guys are pretty far away so i mean i think larnack is probably your best bet to be internal help but yeah this this isn't a this uh, other than that i'm kind of struggling to see and maybe duran but that would probably be i think more in relief than anything else all right uh john do you have anything else you would like to to add about the twins or any other baseball thoughts before we wrap up here today no, just again, I think like this is a team that need that like the Blue Jays is a team a different. They're in a little bit of a different part of the contention cycle than Toronto, but still in that same place of, you know, spend and take advantage of the fact that this team is ready to win now. 
and that the moves you make to win now are not going to hurt you going forward, especially if you're just targeting free agency. So I don't think the Twins are a team that's really going to be all that active in trades anyways. They don't have like the young prospects and players to move for like uh, established stars. But I mean, shit, we just saw what Darvish cost, which was basically nothing. Like, you know, I'm not saying that the Twins need to make a Blake Snell type move. They don't have the prospects for that. But targeting someone like a Darvish from a team like the Cubs that is in a money crunch right now and is trying to shed some payroll, take advantage of that. You've got the space to do it. This is the time to do it because Chicago is right there on their tail. And, you know, they, they, should, not be, they should not be taking a step back in 2021. There's, it makes no sense for this team to do that. Yeah. John Taylor, always a pleasure, my friend. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back next week. Who are we doing? Who are we doing next week? Which AL Central team is next in the docket? I mentioned the Indians. Let's let's go to the Indians and get okay. sad. Let's be sad. Let's be sad about the Cleveland baseball team. The Cleveland Spiders. Let's let's do it. Um, the Cleveland Naps. The Cleveland Naps. I'm okay with that too. Very pro Naps. Um, John, thank you as always, my friend, and we will talk next week. Sounds good. All right, we're back on the Chase Homes podcast, and I'm now joined by old friend Brian Phillips, Hartsford, ja- Hartsfield, excuse me, Jackson, just super fan over here <laughs> of Pat's pulpit. Brian, good afternoon. How are you? Good, man. How's it going? It's good. Have you been able to go through my old hometown airport recently? No, we have been locked down here. Mm, I've heard about responsibly this. locked, responsibly locked down. This uh, have you heard? Yeah, you've heard about this over the last, you know, like nine months or so. Trying mm. to stay off, trying to trying to stay out of the airports, uh, if at all possible. I understand. I understand. Um, the Patriot season is over, but I wanted to ask you: Are you sure that you don't want to watch any more Cam Newton under at quarterback for the New England Patriots this season? Are you Are you sure you're done? Am I sure I'm done? Mm. I, I don't want to be done. Mm. I, yeah. So like that's been my my revelation this year has been understanding why people enjoy watching Cam Newton, and I kind of caught the bug, mm. and uh, just by by going back and watching and ignoring all the stupid game day like in the moment reactions to bad throws like going back and actually taking a look at what's going on with this offense. Uh, I became a can what uh, some would qual- qualify me as a Cam Newton Stan mm. now. So, uh, which I, you know, whatever, but, um, I don't know. I, I would like to have him. I'd, I'd love to have him back as the bridge guy to whoever they eventually go to in the future. But, who, who knows if it's if it's going to happen? Adam Schefter doesn't seem to think so, but um, I would be all on board with it. So, as a Cam guy, in your estimation, what really happened with Cam Newton and the New England Patriots offense in 2020? Okay, well, there's a lot. There's a lot there. <laughs> the, 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 the majority of the problem was they were bad. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, it's tough to get more in-depth analysis than that. I understand. Uh, they had the worst collection of, of skill, offensive skill personnel in the league. 
uh, and it, it really wasn't very close. And um, a lot of the season has been spent, has been spent saying, well, they're, they're not throwing a lot because they, because of the quarterback and in my my take on it has been they aren't throwing they they aren't throwing a lot because they're not going to formulate a game plan around the worst skill position group in the league. You just you can't do it, especially with the way they can run the football um, and the things they wanted to do, utilizing Cam's legs and things like that. But it was just it was bad, and uh, you know Jacoby Myers is the only guy all year long who could. He's somewhat of a consistent uh, threat to the interior of defenses, but he's got no outside presence. There's no, there's no bailout guy in this in this offense whatsoever. Everything has to be absolutely perfect, um, and the the margin for error was was zero. And Cam had to be absolutely flawless with every on every play for them to be able to move the football effectively. And yeah, it's just impossible to ask something like that of your quarterback who joined the, the team late in the year during an unprecedented pandemic and having to pick up the system and following in the footsteps of, you know, what some would say the greatest quarterback of all time and huge, huge roster problems. And it's been quite a year. And uh, I'd say with all that context taken into account, Cam Newton was actually, actually hashtag good, but uh, a lot of people have would, would and have disagreed with me. Interesting. Um, a bigger miss for the Patriots in the last three years, Nikhil Harry or Sonny Michelle? Sonny Michelle, Sonny Michelle's so weird because the last three or four weeks since he since he came out of IR, it's actually he looks like like Georgia Sonny Michelle. Mm. I know it sounds blasphemous, but I, we're seeing burst and passing game production and. Like everything we wanted out of Sony, we're seeing right now, which is to- totally weird. Um, but uh, it's Nikhil Harry. It's 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 bad. You, you can't you can't take a, a receiver in the first round, especially with these last two receiver classes in miss. Uh, with all of the talent that has been out there, um, I mean, yeah, year one you have the hammy the hammy tweak or whatever it was in the, in the preseason and it gets off to a slow start, but. Uh, it's 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 not good when you're expecting him to take a huge step forward this year, and uh, you got really not not much production at all from him. And there's I mean there's there's effort issues occasionally in his film. There's just all kinds of gross stuff. He's got towards the end of the year they they did a little uh, contested catch stuff with him, but uh, a majority of it was just and he's never on the same page with his quarterback. And uh, and he's not getting separation. He's got to win jump jump balls, fifty fifty balls. That's the only way you can really get him going in the offense. It seems, and it's that's not very fun. Yeah, I um, I still will never really understand like why the Steelers can be so good at identifying wide receiver talent. The the Falcons can be so good, and then Belichick can just be so bad at uh, that it, one thing. It's very strange. It makes. It it, blow, it it absolutely blows my mind. Unless it's an undrafted receiver who used to play quarterback in college, there's just they're not they're not developing. Yeah, it's wild. It's very strange. Um, when you hear that Belichick looked at this season all along and Nick Casario and this group that like this was all about clearing up the cap, that 2020 was a stopgap year, that they were 
going to get their finances in order to replenish the roster next year. They knew this year the roster would be limited and they weren't, they were just trying to tread water for a year. Do you, do you buy that and that they didn't actually have high expectations going into the year and that this year really was all about clearing up the cap and that they are going to um, really be aggressive in the next two years, um, getting this roster back in the, the group of the, the chiefs and the, the Steelers and uh, other teams like that. I, I buy that that has it was a hindrance to, to building the roster this year. Uh, going into the offseason, they had they had no money, um, like like Bill said, and and it was it, it's weird because we we've never had that kind of insight from Bill mid season into what was actually going on in the process. But they didn't really get their cap space that they have now until until the opt outs, you know, until until uh, Hightower and Chung and, and Bolden and all these guys started opting out, and they had no money. They had nothing, you know, nothing. After re-signing Devin McCourty uh, this offseason, they were down. I, I don't have my cap log pulled up, but where I keep track every week of you know where they're at. But uh, it wasn't it, it wasn't good, and that was with Tom Tom Brady leaving. And you were you were sitting there all you know before the offseason started, thinking, uh, you know, how the hell are they going to put together, you know, some kind of you know create the space to get some kind of offer, like competitive offer to Tom. And then we hear that the, the Joe Tooney franchise tag um, is applied and, and he ends up playing on it. So you've got a guard taking up $14 million of your cap. And it just wasn't, wasn't, wasn't great. And they had a ton of dead money from, from Tom's deals and uh, the restructures and the Antonio Brown grievances that hadn't hit the cap yet. Uh, I believe they'll hit next year. All, all kinds of fun stuff. But, yeah, I mean, they, they certainly have uh, a ton of work to do now. I mean, they've got the flexibility to do it, but you don't have much going on roster wise to build around uh, specifically, obviously at quarterback. Hmm. Um, what do you think ultimately happens at quarterback? How do you think the quarterback room changes this off season? Do they, do they look at a quarterback in the first round? Do they look at a quarterback like a Kyle Trask or a Mac Jones in the second, third? What do you think? Or do they go after a Carson Wentz or something like that? What do you think ultimately will be the strategy from Belichick and company this off season. Oh man, that's um I mean worst case scenario but one that I think is like super likely would be um they take another day two guy. Um a Mac Jones, somebody you know, somebody like that. Um and have them compete with Jared Stidham and I cry the entire season. Mm. That's that's probably and then you have to imagine they bring in some some kind of veteran. I don't know what like tier they want to probably look into. Uh, you know, as far as the the free agents that are on the market, but like you've got guys like Jacoby Brissett who will be on the market. You know, obviously he's a like, you know they drafted him um, and then traded him for Phil Dorsett, and then you've got. You know, you've got other guys that are going to be on the market, like Andy Dalton and things like that. I think eventually they'll bring somebody in to have just a a lovely camp battle between two day two quarterbacks. Well, I'm sorry, Jared said it's a day three quarterback. A, a day two, a day three quarterback, you know, quarterback battle, and throw in a veteran there for some sparks. And that's going to be what they go with because you're not, you know, unless you're in that top five draft picks this year you're, you're not you're not going to get the quarterback of the future that, that you really want uh unless unless they really really like you know the mac joneses uh kyle trasks of the world which you know, wouldn't be 
wouldn't be my favorite, but hey, who knows? Interesting. Um, one of the funny things about Damian Harris this season, when I was watching him a little bit, and people were getting excited, like, who's, who's the Patriots found another one when he had that two week stretch? And I was like, he was a five star yeah. and the number one running back in that Alabama class years ago now. Um, it didn't pan out for a variety of reasons at Bama, but um, Harris is. Uh, an extremely talented guy and if Sonny Michelle is getting back on track more to what he was down the stretch like you said Harris and Michelle is a really really good SEC strong dynamic um, for the Pats going into next year right especially with the offensive line getting healthy and continuing to improve on that front is that fair it's well you'd think but like then you kind of have like you have duplicitous guys like they're the same guy they really right? are like, yeah they're the same player, um, specifically with the role in the offense. Damian Harris runs really hard. I love what I saw from him. He looks great, sure. But, like, when you're running behind, you know, you know, for a good majority of the year this year, they had Joe Tooney, David Andrews, and Shaq Mason on the interior. You know, they make they make life really easy for running backs. And next year, Joe Tooney's a free agent. Uh, you know, you, you, you sure as hell don't want to go back-to-back years paying a left guard on the franchise tag. That's, that's not – not a good way to do business because it's you know his tag value is going to be 120 percent of this year's salary. So whatever 14 million times 1.2 is um, is his, his franchise tag value. So he, he you have to assume he's going to be on the market. He's going to get the bag, and uh, and David Andrews is a free agent. So it's it's you drafted Mike Onwenu, who is you know the big the big draft pick in the sixth round this year, who can play guard and tackle and. He's he's been a, a nice find, but like you, you're now in jeopardy of, of really you've broken up that interior trio. So things are kind of crazy all over the place, you know, for New England right now. Like going into this, there are a million questions that have to be answered, and we're not going to have like any answers until April. It sucks, man. This is way more depressing than I was. I was so excited to be hard on you about the Patriots' downfall this year. And, <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, there's not a lot of optimism out of you, Brian. Like, I, I'm, I'm a little they, concerned. My optimism is, like, maybe they bring Cam back, and the guy who squeezed seven wins out of this roster, you know, the you know QB wins, you know, hashtag QB wins, of course. Um, you know, you squeeze seven wins out of this roster with Cam Newton taking a beating and having just absolutely no support, no help at all. If you got him some help you've got a chance to move the football. You get some guys coming back. Dante Hightower should be back. Who knows? Um, with the opt-outs and everything, uh, they have a young core of defenders that they've drafted that they like. So like, there's a, there's a chance to build on, on the seven and nine, but you know, you have to, you have to fill in a lot of holes and, you know, there's until you fix the quarterback spot, which which is I don't understand why they're they're not more proactive and being like, hey, we want Cam here, and unless it's from Cam being like, hey, I want out of here, which I wouldn't blame him because he's he's gotten a pretty bad rap here, and they, you know, he was thrown into the fire and given like it, like an impossible task, um, but they still squeeze seven wins out of it, so. I don't know. It, it's I'm, I'm trying not to be too down, but like I knew going into last season when we talked, I, I, I had a six and ten mark on them, and then they signed Cam, and I thought that he brought their ceiling up to from to like to eight and eight, and they ended up seven and nine. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll see. We shall see. Um, did the defense regress this year, in your estimation? 
massively, like like crazy. Um, and I mean, it, it had to, right? We saw it starting last year, um, creating turnovers at like like a ridiculously historic pace, and um, towards the end of the season, obviously playing some better offenses, and it's you know you saw that regression, but like. You know, you lose, you take away a Dante Hightower from this defense, and it's such a crucial position he plays. But then you also take away you know, a Kyle Van Noy and a Landon Roberts and, you know, Danny Shelton, um, who was really good on early downs for them last year. And, uh, and it was, it was a, it was a struggle for them to stop the run this year, which typically I don't care about. But when it was happening in the, you know, in, in the in the way it was happening, um, where they they literally couldn't, you know, they weren't bends don't break. It was just they they just got crushed all the way down the field with the run at times this year, um, and it showed in their defensive rankings. I think they were, I don't know, depending on what metric you use, but they were you know a bottom third defense this year, and most in most if not all metrics this year. So um, it was to be expected. They they went super young and. Uh, again, with all these with the, with all these opt outs and stuff, but um, they had a lot of young guys trying to you know play a lot of snaps in positions um, like Patrick Chung's position being filled by rookie Kyle Duggar, who you know played last year at Lenore Ryan, so that was a little bit of a transition for him. Um, we had a lot of those kind of situations going on on the defenses here, and uh, you know it it, it showed. Hmm. Um, off-season targets. What are you? Who are you looking at for the Pats? Who Who do you like? Who are some under the radar and very much on the radar guys that uh, you would like to see the Pats go after, and who are realistic for them? All the wide receivers, mm. uh, like everybody. Like I think I, you need I to give Nikhil Harry another year. <laughs> like Nikhil Harry is going to be a very solid wide receiver for. You know, like he, like okay, cool. It's you know we're in the red zone. Let's let's go with the the red zone package. Nikhil, get on in there. You know, get in the slot, or you know, that that's that's where that's where you want a Nikhil Harry. Uh, obviously, you know, you want a Corey Davis. You want an Allen Robinson. Um, Chris Godwin probably won't hit the market, but like, you know, shell out the money for a wide receiver one if you can. They they, they so rarely hit the open market that it's like, you just have to, um, or, or a Hunter Henry, which I wouldn't be a huge fan of, but whatever, just, just go, just go get somebody, anybody, please just go get somebody, um, under the radar guys. I was look. I was watching, uh, cause I'm kind of a sicko. I'm a Michigan fan. I was watching Chris Wormley, the, like he's buried on the Steelers depth chart. And he's a, he plays like three tech interior defensive line, kind of, early down defensive end. He, uh, he filled in for Cam Hayward who sat on Sunday in Cleveland. Um, he was drafting the third round by Baltimore a few years ago and then traded this off season to Pittsburgh. And he, rem- he's always rem- like, I've always, he's been a guy I've wanted on, on the early down package for the Patriots. I think he fits, he's going to be a unrestricted free agent and he should come pretty cheap. Uh, so that'd be a, a cool under the radar guy if they brought my guy, Chris Wormley in, but yeah, go get some damn pass catchers. I mean, my God, go just get somebody. That's 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 my my one hope. To wrap up here, Brian. When you look at twenty twenty one, you look at who you think might be under center, who they might target, wide receiver. Maybe the the defense takes a step back in the right direction. Shell's healthy. 
do you think that it's a quick fix and they're they're back in the playoffs and they're back winning the, the AFC East year over year? Or are we really going through a, a rebuild and that this might take some time and or it just might not get better and we're heading towards the end of the the Patriots being awesome all the time? Uh, I don't think the Patriots are going to be awesome all the time for a while. Um, like, I think the only the only avenue they have to becoming oh, over the next two years, let's call it, to being a, you know a wild card team and contending with Buffalo in the division over the next two years is to keep Cam Newton and put pieces around him, um, and then move on from there. If they don't do that and they go and they start all over again at quarterback, you're just going to see you're not having any kind of expectation to contend with Buffalo on any level is irresponsible, right? Like Buffalo's nasty. Now they're, they're, they're going to be a juggernaut for a little while here. And, you know, you're, you're, you're going to maybe be able to squeeze into a wild card spot if you have some kind of competency at quarterback, but without, without that and having to start over and everything, um, it, you know, it, it could be, uh, it could be a long road back to uh, some kind of relevancy. There you go. Brian, what can we check out from you this week at Pat's Pulpit? I'm going to be getting some film stuff out on the the Pat's Pulpit uh, Twitter handle, at Pat's Pulpit. Um, Yeah, I'm going to be looking at some free agent targets. I'm just starting to do that, Um, the the under-the-radar stuff, the Chris Wormley stuff. Uh, Most of them guys that, you know, guys I've had takes on in the past that are still doing well. You know, that way I can confirm my priors and show everybody how smart I am. There you go. There you go. All right, Brian. (laughs) Well, good luck with that. And uh, keep up the great work, my friend. Thanks for making the time today. I greatly appreciate it. Um, But, yeah, we'll have to to check in again next year when the Patriots miss the playoffs for two straight years. A beautiful beautiful thing. Uh, A beautiful thing. Wouldn't that be something to start the decade? Yeah. I'm, I'm not opposed to it. Brian, thank you. As always, good sir. And I will talk to you soon. Okay. Appreciate it, man. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. For the ones standing guard. For the eagle-eyed. For the knights in shining armor. And for all those who support them. We are Granger, your experienced safety partner. Offering supplies and solutions for every industry. Committed to helping keep your facilities safe. And your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com slash safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.